Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. A young female college student once sent the following text message to her parents. Hey, mom and dad, just thought I'd send you a quick text to let you know that my plans for Christmas break changed. I've fallen in love with a guy named Marcus, and he quit high school after the 11th grade to get married, and about a year ago he got divorced, and we started dating two months ago, and have decided to get married over Christmas break. Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment, and oh, I almost forgot to mention, I think I might be pregnant too. Uh, because of all that's been going on in my life, I dropped out of school last week, but hope to finish sometime in the future. And then she clicked send. A minute later, she sent a follow-up text to her parents. Just kidding. Seriously though, I wanted to let you know that I got a C in French, and I flunked my calculus class, and, and by the way, I'm going to need you to send more tuition money. <laughs> okay, I'm assuming some of you are not laughing because maybe you got a text like that. <laughs> but Katie sure knew how to use perspective to her advantage, didn't she? <laughs> she, was, she was wise beyond her years. Um, and lessen the blow of her poor grades. As you have reflected on seasons in your life, I'm sure you have realized as well that uh, perspective dramatically changes how we respond to circumstances that we face. The Apostle Paul knew this as well, which is why he landed his letter to his first letter to the church in Thessalonica with a few reminders about having a vertical perspective. And so uh, we're taking a break today from our current series in Ephesians, and I want to share with you what I hope would be a timely text as we begin another holiday season. I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and pull out the sermon notes in your worship folder. If you forgot your Bible, just uh, raise your hand and one of our ushers can bring one to you so you can follow along with us. Our big idea for today is, is this, having a joyful holiday season starts with having a vertical perspective. Having a joyful holiday season starts with having a vertical perspective. I love the smells, the songs, and the lights of the holiday season. However, I've learned over the years that my perspective going into the season greatly influences my joy. For example, joy wrapped up in the anticipation of a certain gift will pass if you don't get that gift. And the joy that comes after receiving a certain gift will wane once the newness of the gift wears off in the spring. However, the joy that comes from receiving the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ should never go away. Now, on the other hand, there are some who struggle 
with perspective during the holidays because the holidays remind them of loved ones lost or the holidays remind them they're going to have to deal with loved ones they wish would get lost. (laughs) So a vertical perspective is what enabled the believers in the New Testament to maintain joy, radical joy, while they suffered for their faith, while professing faith in Christ was dangerous and a threat to their lives. And so they knew that even though life on this earth could be taken from them, the joy they found in the gospel never could be. And so with that, I want to invite you to look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Here's the first uh, of two truths that Paul is communicating in these verses. And the first one is that a vertical perspective will make a difference in your daily walk. A vertical perspective will make a difference in your daily walk with the Lord. Sorry, more technical difficulties with the projectors. So a vertical perspective will make a difference in your daily walk. When interpreted in context, in the context of the book, uh, these four verses are really talking about the importance of getting on top of our emotions. The church in Thessalonica was an infant church that had sacrificed and suffered and persevered for the gospel. However, Paul knew that when we suffer, when we're uncomfortable, when, when we wish things were different, it's harder to be joyful. It's harder to be prayerful and thankful And we won't feel like doing any of the spiritual disciplines that we should do. But a major theme that we see throughout the scriptures, if we were to just sort of do a a cursory overview, one of the major themes is that um, the scriptures call us to rejoice and trust and rest and love and obey the Lord even when we don't feel like it. In other words, God wants you to lead your emotions instead of your emotions leading you. And once you begin to do this with the Lord's help, you will have taken a significant leap forward in your spiritual maturity. Now, I'm not saying you will always have it together and you will always have a rain on your emotions. Instead, what I'm saying is that godly Christ followers are able to recognize when their emotions are leading them, and they are able to, within a short period of time, rein them in, think about God's word, or go to the word, or go to prayer, and take the lead and change how they feel. 
And we all struggle with this because we've been hardwired from the womb to, uh, with our inherited sin nature, which tells us what we should do. It tries to tell us, do this, feel this, act like this, respond like this, do whatever feels right. And then the world that we live in also tells us the same thing. Just follow your feelings, follow your heart. To which God's word says, no, don't follow your heart, actually. And what the world doesn't tell us is that following our feelings and our hearts only leads to disappointment. It never satisfies. In fact, according to the scriptures, being led by our emotions is equivalent to putting the cart before the horse or letting the tail wag the dog. And so therefore, Paul says in verse 16 and this is letter A on your outline, letter A, be joyful even when you don't feel like it. And he says that in verse 16 when he writes, rejoice always. This is important going into the holiday season and with Thanksgiving this week because some of you may already be thinking, oh man, I just can't wait for this week to be over. Or, oh, it's that time of year again, or I, I don't want to see these people, talk to these people, have them in my home, or go to their house, or, or whatever, so on and so forth. There's a reason that rejoice always is written as a command, and there's a reason why it's found 70 times in the New Testament. It's a command because if it was made optional, we wouldn't do it. And it's repeated throughout the New Testament because it's very important to the Lord. Still, how is this possible? Well, Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that their light and momentary affliction was preparing them for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So, so it was having an eternal perspective, realizing that Okay, you're, what you're experiencing right now, if you know Jesus Christ, is temporary. It's, it's just a, it's a blip in the span of eternity. But you'll be with Jesus forever. And so, in other words, you will suffer a very short time and not suffer forever. Translation, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, difficult seasons are temporary, but life with the author of the holidays is forever. So take the long-term view in realizing that you'll be with the Lord longer than you'll be here on earth. Now, there are at least three joy robbers that I have found in my years of studying the scriptures that are worth mentioning that you should be on guard against. Um, and this would be one, two, and three, small one, two, and three, under letter A. The first is focusing on circumstances. This is, this is why... Paul, notice he said in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. In, in Luke chapter 10, it's a, one of, it's a fascinating little passage in Luke 10, 17 to 20. It's where Jesus sent out the 70, 72 disciples to perform miracles, and they returned, it says, with great joy, telling Jesus... Even the demons are subject to us. So they got to do a bunch of miracles and cast out demons, and they saw some really cool stuff. And they're fired up about that. But Jesus' response is like, it's sobering and eye-opening as it always is. 
He says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So, so that was a good circumstance. They got to cast out demons. And he's saying, don't let your joy be wrapped up in that. And I think he was probably saying it because he knew they would not always be able to cast out demons. He, he knew they would die as martyrs for the faith. They would not always have power to overcome circumstances. There would be times when it was God's will for them to suffer or to die. And so what would happen when, when say, those disciples did not get to see miracles? What would happen to their joy then? And so Jesus obviously didn't want it being dependent on seeing fireworks done. So I think what, in others, I think what he's saying is don't let your joy be influenced by what you see here on earth because it will always change. Your finances will change. Your job will change. Your family will change. Your house will change. Who's in the White House will change. The economy will change. The climate will change. It's all going to change. But if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, your changing circumstances do not change anything he has waiting for you in heaven. That is one of the many blessings of knowing the Lord. There is no changing administration in heaven. There is no shifting economy. There is no climate change in heaven. There is, there is no fickleness of... Well, I changed my mind. I decided I'm not going to give eternal rewards anymore because I capped out the pension fund for believers, and there is none of that. The Lord says what he's going to do, and he keeps his word. And so the holiday season was originally intended to begin with thanking the Lord for his goodness to us and end by celebrating the Savior he sent for us. Next, small number two, unrepentant sin can rob your joy. After some time had passed, after his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, King David penned Psalm 51. The reference is there in your outline. In verse 12, he writes to the Lord, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He's saying, My sin and not repenting of it for a period of time stole my joy. I want that back now. And so in Psalm 51, he's coming back to the Lord saying, I was wrong, you were right, I sinned against you, forgive me, change me, put, in a, put a clean heart in me, and, and I want to I get right and walk with you again. So, so if there's an unfinished business that you need to do with the Lord, I want to encourage you to do so as soon as possible. And I'm willing to, well, I'm not a betting man. If I was a betting man, I would bet it'll change your holiday season. Because the Lord doesn't want you weighed down by the shame of your sin or your soul emptied of the joy of salvation. He doesn't want that for you. Next, no fellowship. Uh, small number three under letter A. John writes in 1 John chapter 1, one of the many benefits of knowing Christ is being able to experience fellowship with other believers. And in that fellowship there is joy. You experience it with other believers because you share something in common with them on a soul level that you cannot experience with anybody else. 
You experience the indwelling Holy Spirit in a love for the Lord. It's something that's powerful. And so this holiday season, uh, with all the opportunities that will come your way, you will have more options given to you than you have time to take advantage of. I want to encourage you to make time not only for unbelievers so that you can maybe share your faith in Christ and the true meaning of the season, but also time for believers so that you can share your love for the Lord. Because if all your time is with unbelievers, you're going to experience a secular, atheistic Christmas season. And if all your time is with believers, you're not going to witness for the gospel during a time of year when people are most open to hear the true meaning of Christmas. The joy that believers have is also, it's an important witness. Uh, the 19th century German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche uh, was an aggressive and influential opponent of Christianity during his day, and he once scornfully said this about Christians, I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little more joyful like people who had been saved. And so if you're struggling with joy this holiday season, I, I just want to encourage you to ask the Lord to show you why. What is the, what is the cause? What's, what's sucking the joy out of you? And, and then ask him to help you get your joy back and, and get it wrapped up in the right place where it should be. Uh, if the believers in Thessalonica can find joy while they were being persecuted for their faith, then, well, I think we should be able to do it in 21st century America during the holiday season. Next, Paul says uh, another key to maintaining an eternal perspective is in, in, in our daily walk is to be prayerful. Letter B, to be prayerful even when we don't feel like it. The adverb that he uses, uh, pray without ceasing, in the original Greek text, it, it means to literally pray continually or uh, without ceasing or perpetually. It's a fascinating word, and it was used in Greek culture to refer to a hacking cough. Um, he, he was trying to... Paul was trying to paint a word picture for the Thessalonians of having a prayer life that's like a whooping cough, but he's not saying we should pray nonstop. Instead, like a cough, you don't know when it's coming, and it comes just sporadically throughout the day. So in the same sense, our prayers should be an ongoing conversation with the Lord that starts in the morning during your devotion time, and continues throughout the day. Just, just as a natural overflow of an intimate, growing relationship with Him. It's so, it's, so it's, it's praying on your way to work, or on your way to an important meeting, or as you walk across the parking lot into Walmart or Target, and uh, lifting things up to the Lord, or people that He's reminded you of, or maybe things you see. The famous uh, uh, British 19th century missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, he was known for his disciplined prayer life. And I think a lot of people thought Hudson Taylor was sort of this prayer superhero. 
And I've always been encouraged by this quote that uh, Taylor shared. He was once asked if he ever prayed without joy. And this spiritual giant, he says something that's very encouraging to give us hope. Uh, the answer, he said, was, yeah, often. Sometimes I pray on with my heart feeling like wood. Often, too, the most wonderful answers have come when prayer has been a real effort of faith without any joy whatsoever. So we need to pray even when we don't feel like it. Now, please listen to me. This is important. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. You don't need joy to pray. But you will never find joy if you don't pray. Now, some people only pray when they're in a jam. They need to call on God to bail them out, like he's a bail bondsman or something. Um, others only pray when the Lord is doing what they want, and then they give him the cold shoulder when he's not doing what they want, as though to make him pay for that. Um, still others think a certain level of eloquence is necessary before beginning to pray, which is not the case either. Uh, because if we were to look at the Psalms, and, and we have, a couple years ago I did a series in the Psalms, and the Psalms have a, an abundance of prayers that David wrote down that are just raw and authentic. And they, they remind us that there's only one thing the Lord wants from us in prayer, which is our heart. He just wants our heart. He, he's not impressed by vocabulary. Uh, in addition to praying during your devotional time, you can talk to him on prayer walks around your neighborhood, while you're walking the dog, maybe. Or um, People might think you're talking to your dog. That's okay. You know you're talking to Jesus. And um, you can do it while driving to work or, or at night when your head hits the pillow. Like a teenager constantly looking for a Wi-Fi internet connection, we should long to maintain a, a constant connection with the Lord. Next, the, another key to maintaining a vertical perspective in our daily walk is being thankful, even when we don't feel like it. Letter C, being thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances, Paul writes. Did you notice he says all circumstances? Boy, I wish he wouldn't have put that there. But that's just my humble opinion. I won't speak for you. I must admit that I have melancholy tendencies at times, and so I'm, I'm not naturally good at this. I, I need the Lord's help with this. Um, but have you noticed that when we... When we struggle with being thankful, it seems like it's often because we compare up to the minority who has more than us, instead of comparing down to the majority who has less than us. And as I alluded to earlier, the Lord wants us to be thankful in all circumstances, but by being grateful for what he's already done for us... and the gospel, instead of complaining about what he hasn't done yet. Again, it's hard, I get it, but the Lord doesn't ask us to do anything that is impossible, 
Instead, he asks us to do things that are possible, and he even enables us to do it when we ask him for help. Now, being thankful in all circumstances is another important part of our witness during the holiday season because it sets us apart from unbelievers. It makes them wonder, how, can, how, can, how, how come you're, you never complain? How come you are so joyful, so thankful, so positive? It gives you an opportunity to say, well, because I, I love the Lord and he's done great things in my life. Hopefully you would say that instead of, well, I just listened to a great Tony Robbins motivational message uh, at this positive power conference that I went to. Don't say that. Speak for the Lord. Let the redeemed say so, as Psalm 107 says. So having a joyful holiday season starts with having a vertical perspective. Next, uh, Paul shifts his focus from our daily walk to our weekly corporate worship. And uh, we see that in verses 19 to 22. So here's number two in your outline. A vertical perspective will make a difference in your weekly worship. Now, I think it goes without saying that it's going to be difficult for you to maintain joy if you're not faithful in worship service attendance. Uh, That's a critical role in your spiritual health all year round, uh, let alone during the holiday season. However, many believers don't realize that their attitude when coming to worship and when they come to worship or when they show up to worship, not the worship service, will determine whether or not they sense the Lord's presence. So when you come to worship, Paul says, and here's letter A, be teachable instead of cynical. Be teachable instead of cynical. He says in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Now this phrase is, it's used in the the original text, it literally means stop putting out the spirit's fire like throwing water on it or a fire extinguisher, a, a, a good fire. It's a good fire. And, and he says it, and, and Paul uses a, a certain tense in the original text to, uh, which suggests they had already been doing that in Thessalonica. That there were some who, when they gathered in worship, they were quenching or limiting what the Spirit could do in the rest of the church. Now, this is, this is difficult. It's kind of counterintuitive because our tendency is to think if we don't feel the Lord's presence in the service, it's everybody else's fault. It's, it's the, the preacher's fault or the musician's fault or it's the, the technical problems that we had before the service fault or it's the person who's distracting me. It's always outward focused. But what's very clear in the scriptures here. And and also in Ephesians 4, where Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, is that no, 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 no. You all determine whether the Spirit will be quenched. The Holy Spirit is sometimes likened to a fire or a flame in the Scriptures. And like a fire, a good fire, the Spirit warms cold hearts. He causes discomfort when needed. He illuminates truth. It fuels God's people for God's work. However, believers can extinguish the Spirit's fire if they resist Him. 
If, if they hear that still small voice of the Spirit and they go, shh, 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 That's, that's, not, that's not for me. You're, you meant to say that to my wife. <laughs> but unfortunately, this verse, do not quench the spirit, is often misapplied by some charismatics and other denominations as, to, as a defense for, for squelching emotional expression in worship. And that's, that's not what Paul means here. In, in its context, he's, he's saying, give your full attention to the preaching of the word instead of ignoring it. Don't, don't, don't ignore what God's word is saying to you or be distracted or be applying it to somebody else's life or be on your phone checking your social media accounts or the latest scores on ESPN or watching the political talk shows that you're missing on Sunday morning. Don't be doing that because you can quench the spirit. That's why... Paul says, next, do not despise prophecies. That's another way that people quench the Spirit, and he's getting more specific now. Literally, it says in the Greek text, stop counting as nothing the preaching of the Word. It's no big deal. Never liked this letter anyway. I'm more of an Old Testament guy. Or this doesn't apply to me. I don't struggle with this topic. Boy, I'm glad my kids are here so they can hear this. I mean, whereas the humble Christ follower, regardless of how many times they've heard a sermon on a certain text, always, always asks, Lord, what do you want to show me here? What do you want to show me that I've never seen before? What do you want to tell me? Now, when he says prophecies, that can throw some people off. It, the, the term prophecy was used in two different ways in the Old and New Testaments. First of all, it was used in the Old Testament to refer to prophets God had dispensed to go out and speak to the people of Israel, most often to confront sin. Occasionally, they were forecasting the future. But most of the time, it was to confront sin. So it was forthtelling as opposed to foretelling. Uh, the gift of prophecy is also referenced in 1 Corinthians 14 as a, a spiritual gift. And again, I think in this season of church history, it's referring to those who are more forthtelling. They speak firm truth about the word. They're not afraid to confront sin. Now, more often than not, God used these individuals with the gift of prophecy to confront sin and disobedience so that God's people would get back into a right relationship with him. But having said this, here's how I would Paul paraphrase what Paul is saying. Don't ignore convicting preaching. Because in doing so, you extinguish what the Spirit wants to do in you and in the church. It should, sober, it should sober us. I mean, don't miss this, dear loved ones, don't miss this. It should sober us that Christians can get in the way 
of what God wants to do in his church. It's not talking about Satan here. Now, he's not talking about unbelievers in the church. He's writing to believers. Don't get in the way of what the Lord wants to do in the church. Now, I think some other ways we can quench the Spirit in our service would be uh, not preparing our heart for worship, um, unconfessed sin, unresolved conflict, showing up late for service, being a distraction to others or distracted by others, uh, not singing, not taking notes, not having your Bible open, uh, or being engaged with the Word while it's being preached, ignoring the sermon because you think it doesn't apply to you or it doesn't interest you. I mean, how do you think I feel? There are passages that I don't have a particular interest in, but I still have to preach them because I'm called to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. I honestly don't love every passage I have to preach. There are harder ones, and there are easier ones for me. And there are areas and topics in the Bible that are more interesting to me than others. But one of the benefits I find of going through a book is that it forces me to do the passages I love and the ones that I don't love, and it forces me to cover all the topics. But first century churches had a reverence for the Word of God and a sensitivity to the Spirit that many 21st century churches don't. It's really sad. So let's be the kind of church that shows others how we're supposed to be when we gather the humility that we're supposed to have, the sensitivity to the Spirit we're supposed to have. Let's, let's show other churches and show this community how we're supposed to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's show them how much we love Him instead of letting those other churches lead us. Next, Paul says, be discerning instead of gullible. Uh, that's letter B. And he says this in verse 21, but test everything. So this is, this is another reason why it is so critical to, to have your Bible open and to be taking notes and to be learning the scriptures and then to be in the word during the week. Because if you aren't, you will be gullible. You will be easily misled by things. The apostle is urging the Thessalonians to examine the teaching that they listened to. Some of you might remember the uh, PBS television series called Antique Roadshow. My wife used to like to watch it. And if you haven't seen it before, it's where uh, cameras would go out and they, to these antique roadshows uh, across the country, and they would bring experts in to examine people's keepsakes. So people would line up to meet with this expert on a table with a velvet tablecloth, and, and uh, they'd bring their jewelry and guns and clocks and artwork and all sorts of things that they inherited from grandparents and great-grandparents. The purpose of the expert was to determine the authenticity of the artifact, if it was one, or the value of the antique. And these experts spent their lives studying the subject. So, for example, a theme of one episode might be guns, and so you'd have all sorts of rifles and shotguns and revolvers from the last 200 years showing up at the show. 
But the experts were trained to know the difference between what's genuine and what's fake. And the fascination of the show, the hook of the show, is, is to see guests who don't know whether they have something that's valuable or not be surprised when the expert says, yeah, sorry, this is probably worth about 10 bucks. Or, or hey, what you have here is in a limited edition uh, this is the same rifle that George Washington used. Wow, this is probably worth a few million dollars. Um, and I'm using hyperbole there just for illustrative purposes. But in a similar fashion, the Lord wants us to know his word so well that when we hear other teaching on the radio or podcast, internet, TV, or, or when we see something on television or watch something on our streaming service, we would know that's not true. That's not authentic. That's not real. It's fake. It's a lie because we've studied God's word so well, we've become an expert at it. That's why he wants us to test things. But you can't test anything if you don't know what the real thing looks like. And so um, if, if we were given two different preaching samples from the same text, maybe one from a true minister of the gospel and one from a false teacher, the Lord wants you to be able to hear a two-minute sample from the same text, two different preachers, and to go, that's false, that's true. Because you have accumulated a knowledge of the word through faithfully coming to worship service and faithfully spending time with the Lord in your devotions and going to small group Bible studies, you've accumulated over time the discernment needed so that you're not gullible. Well, many of you have come a long way in this area of your walk with the Lord, and I couldn't be more prouder of you but we're not done growing yet, and neither am I. I'm still learning things in the Word. Next, Paul says, let her see. Something else that can influence the worship service is be careful instead of care less. He, he says, abstain from every kind of evil. In its context, I think Paul means by this phrase, avoid any evil you discern in the preaching you hear. So if I say something that doesn't line up with God's word, you should be discerning enough to catch it and bring it to my attention. I think it's safer to say in the broader context, though, a broader application, excuse me, would, would be to say abstain from every kind of evil in every area of your life. So I think there's a micro-application of, he's talking about preaching, abstaining from evil in the preaching you hear, but I think a, a macro-application that certainly applies would be abstained from every kind of evil in every area of your life. Why? Because sin has a way of desensitizing us to its offensiveness the more that we expose ourselves to it. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
have nothing to do with it. So, so this holiday season, I, I, I just want to encourage you, don't expose yourself to the world's attempts to hijack or soil the true meaning of the holiday season. Avoid raunchy Christmas movies. Sultry holiday music that tries to sexualize the season. Or TV shows that and I want to tread carefully here, that try to redefine the season as the best time to fall in love, get engaged, and get married. Be careful. Because without realizing it, the adversary can use such forms of media to redefine what Christmas means to you and what your expectations are for Christmas. Such things will make it harder for you to focus on the birth of Christ and more difficult to appreciate the life that God has given you. See, if you, if you expose yourself to media that creates this utopian view of Christmas, which is not Christ-based, it's not what the real first Christmas was all about, it's not how the first Christmas happened. You've heard me preach before and you've studied it, I know yourself. The first Christmas was really, it was, it was just... Minimal. People didn't know the Messiah had showed up. Um, uh, he was born in a manger, in a stable. Uh, it, was, it was not this utopian, awesome, total experience where everybody fell in love and got engaged and married the next day. It, it's not what happened. And they didn't go out and get drunk either because, oh, the Messiah is here, let's celebrate. And they didn't do that either. Media is a Trojan horse used by the adversary to insert lies into our brains. If you don't know the word well, you'll be gullible to the lies he's trying to expose you to. So be careful this Christmas season, what you watch and what you listen to. Now the apostle closes his letter with a prayer that's packed with encouragement. Uh, I want to encourage you to look at it with me in verses 23 to 28. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and body, sorry, spirit and soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul, in essence, says here, despite everything you're facing, Thessalonians were being persecuted as a church. You may experience difficult things this, this holiday season. Despite all that, Paul is dropping in here some encouraging theology about the Lord. He's saying the Lord is with you, and he can help you. He gives peace, verse 23. He's faithful, verse 24. And he gives grace, verse 28. So in the flowery language that Paul uses, don't miss the theology he's inserting at the end, and the hope. He gives peace. He's faithful, and he gives grace.
And so he's given us everything we need to have a joyful holiday season that flows from having a vertical perspective. I want to encourage you to do that with the Lord's help in the coming weeks. Would you join me as we close in prayer? We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.